Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Brian, and today is Monday, June 5th, 2023, and this is another episode of Lots to Talk About. And my guest this evening has had a few different career paths over the years, but seems to have settled in doing his own thing, a few different things at, at that. But from maintaining a fleet of equipment for a real estate developer, then on to being an engineer aboard a small passenger ship, um, that's kind of... Uh, kind of an interesting path in its own. But since 2011, he's been building his contracting business and in 2016 bought some acreage and started building a farm. I'm really excited to hear kind of this journey and how it happened and how he got to where he is at now. And with that, I'd like to welcome to Lots to Talk About, Josh from uh, Rockin' K. How's it going, man? It's going good. Excited to be here. Good, good. Uh, so, kind of introduce yourself. I know I throw a lot about the background of people, but um, if you had a quick elevator pitch to somebody, uh, who is Josh? And uh, then we'll kind of talk about uh, your journey through life. Yeah, well, um, basically, I grew up in, uh, I was born in New Jersey. And luckily, my parents decided to move away from there at a pretty young age and got to grow up in southwest Colorado, uh, where my dad remarried a woman that had alpine dairy goats and steers and ducks and all the good stuff. So I kind of got to live live the dream as a young kid and oh, nice. then uh, went uh, went on to school for a little bit and, and then just kind of always worked long hours and long weeks and uh, finally found myself out in Central Oregon and decided um, decided if I was going to keep working long hours and long weeks, I wanted to at least do it for myself and not to uh, make someone else real wealthy. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I hear you that you get down at the end of the week um, and you've probably, I mean, I mean you went kind of on your own, but uh, when you get doing the farm and just imagine doing the farm with doing the nine to five. And at the end of the day, you're like, man, if I could have only put that all that time into my stuff, that's it. <laughs> like, Look what I get done in this three hours after work. Imagine if I could have done it all day for work. Oh, right. Absolutely. Oh, so got out of New Jersey. That's uh, that is a fantastic thing. I was in New Western New York um, until I was 24. So Okay. Yeah. Then I, then I took off and went to Minnesota, which is worse. I don't know. I, like, I, made, a, I made a downhill turn, but at oh, least right. they let me meet my wife. So that's, that's a good thing. That's it. Yeah. You know, with all the bad comes the good. Right. That's for sure. So you, you said you kind of went to school and you worked a lot. Um, high school, was that, was that your thing or not really, or you, you just did it because you did it? Yeah, I would say not at all. Um, I got through through ninth grade, and uh, I just I just felt like I was wasting my time, as I think so many kids in school do. And so I was finally able to convince my parents that I could at least do the core classes at home on my own without any help, and uh, through some programs I had found. And um, and then I continued to take a couple of electives. So I took shop. I think um, I took Spanish. 
and uh, wrote wrote on the newspaper. So I still got to to see some my friends some and um, kind of you know have a little bit of the social aspect. And then I got a job at a sign shop where uh, we did you know vinyl decals and lettering on trucks and all that. And nice. uh, the owner of that place owned like the whole lot, and he put old western facades on the front of them to make it look like a little old western town and then we ended up building three little mini buildings that one was like a fake bank and then a jewelry store and then a general store because he he bought pawn um or uh he bought storage units and then all the stuff he had collected over the years he was able to fill the general store with and then we built a big saloon and he rented it out for parties and weddings and after about three years had someone else take it over and run it and he was driving around the country fishing and buying and selling antiques so it was cool to get that that entrepreneurial education i got from him was far better than i would have got sitting in math or science social studies and that stuff so that was that was while you were in in high school that was like you were you were actually you were actually getting a lesson in how to hustle Exactly. Yeah. So pretty much 15 to 18 as soon as I got my driver's license and then up till till I was 18. So you you basically made your own hybrid homeschooling. That's it. Yep. And my parents were busy as most divorced parents are and weren't really around. So I kind of just just did what I wanted. <laughs> was it was it something that um, you did you know someone that did it? Did you like what I mean, I don't I don't necessarily know how old you are, but what what kind of time frame were we talking here? Was it a popular thing going on or um, this would have been around 2000, 2001, I guess uh, I would have been that old. So it it I don't remember it being big or, or knowing anyone else that did it. I just felt like I was in jail all day and then just started scheming on ways to get out. You know, that's that's fantastic. Like that. That shows that it's, it wasn't about, um, I don't want to do the work. It's like, this right. is pointless for me to be here. So I'm going to work my ass off to figure out how to not be here. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Um, so you, you got out of high school, you got done. They let you, they released you, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, where'd you go after that? Yeah, so then I I um, went to Denver Automotive and Diesel College because I thought you know it'd be good to to have some kind of you know schooling, but but into something applicable. Um, right. So I went to Denver Automotive and Diesel College, and basically you could go for fourteen months and get all the 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 mechanic certifications, or you could do sixteen months and get uh, associate's degree if you took some business classes and whatnot. So, I went that route, and uh, basically they they did they had three different tracks, and basically there was like a seven a.m. to noon, a twelve thirty to five thirty, and then a six to eleven. And so I was able to work full time at a, a motorcycle shop in Denver, and uh, worked you know eight to five ate some food, went to school from six to 11, got home at about midnight, you know, woke up at six and headed back to work and did that for 16 months straight. But it uh, didn't, didn't walk out of there with a whole ton of debt or any of that stuff by, by working and paying my own um, tuition. And, and of course I had to pay, you know, pay rent and, and car payment and insurance and all of the things. So um, that enabled me to do it by them having that flexible schedule. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good deal. And that I mean, that is, uh, as you've seen, it's it's a pretty valuable skill to gain. 
Um, and what a great opportunity to do it debt free and not have to, you know, you can work right along with it and probably come out ahead um, of, of way ahead than you would have if you just went to school full time and Absolutely. sat up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, so so you got the you got the diesel degree. You went to sixteen months and got the associates. So you had the business, the kind of the business courses. Was that was that intentional? Um, did did you already know you wanted to work for yourself? I did, yeah. And even when I was when I was fifteen, I think my brother in law and I he was he was probably eighteen. We started a, a detail company for the summer, um, and so kind of had gotten a little bit of practice and in, in bidding jobs, you know, calculating cost and then doing it and realizing you didn't make any money at all, and so knowing what you got to do the next time and, and all of that. So I was always really interested in that. My dad had uh, had run a couple companies of his own when I was younger and then ultimately went and worked for other people. But I always, my grandpa was a, a serial entrepreneur. My granddad was a serial entrepreneur. So that was always something in me from, from a pretty young age. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, my dad, my dad, uh, people always are like, what, do you, what was your first job? And I remember my dad, gave me a, a five gallon bucket with some Dawn soap and water in it and a scrub brush and sat me outside. Like I'm not talking country club, like uh, you see on TV. I'm talking like the golf course um, that had like a little clubhouse, but they have tournaments on the weekends and I'm like five years old. And he's got me sitting out there with a scrub brush and a bucket and said, Hey, you ask those guys to clean their clubs when they walk by after they're done playing and they'll let you clean them and they'll hand you money nice yeah and so i just sat outside and i'm the cute little kid sitting outside the fat little kid sitting on a bench with a bucket hey you're gonna watch your golf club and they would just hand it to me they wouldn't even be dirty and i'm like oh scrubbing them and i hand them back to them they give me like five bucks i'm like all right this is sweet i do shit people hand me money all right yeah no that's that's cool so yeah that starts it starts early i think it was more of a they they um want to keep me busy and might as well be productive and busy than uh, <laughs> keep you out of trouble. Exactly. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So, so you, uh, you said in your notes, you, you started working for um, maintaining fleet, a fleet of uh, equipment. That sounds, I think that doesn't sound like a half bad gig. If you, if you're working for the right people. Yeah, it was really pretty good. And, um, it was about, I was kind of split 50, 50 with, with maintenance and repair and then actually operating the equipment as well, which, which really perks it up to, to get your, um, to get out of the grease for a little bit and get to drive the things is, is pretty cool. So, um, they basically, it was a Jack Nicholas golf course that they were building and building the, all the, the roads we started, you know, with the the sewer lines and then the roads, sidewalks, all the way up to a turnkey house. So um, I also got a lot of time, you know, because the the maintenance really only required maybe half time. Um, I would either be operating or if they, you know, the the framing crew needed an extra person, then I'd frame for six months, and then um, the foundation foreman quit unexpectedly. So I became a foundation foreman <laughs> and did did all the foundations for him for a year or so. And it was really good because it was so diverse. You know, I get like most of us, I think, get bored quickly, and so it uh, it was nice that you know you got to 
be a mechanic for a little bit and then an equipment operator, a framer, a foundation guy. And so um, it kept it split up pretty well. And, and I really enjoyed it there. And then uh, 08 happened and they they just all, you know, I had no idea. I didn't pay attention. I was 21 years old or something at that time. So that was not on my radar at all. The the current markets or financial system or anything, you know, I just thought you just work hard and then you'll have money, you know, and, um, but they control uh, it. You know, that can fine. happen as long as you show up to work, right? Exactly. A bank keeps it super safe for you, you know, just hand it over. So, um, so I didn't see any of that coming. And then uh, it, they, they went under, I started another company about two weeks later, they went under um, and then another one and same thing. And then it was just there, there was nothing. And, and it was a, a small town that, you know, in the mountains of Colorado that um, really was blowing up in that 06, 07, 08 time. So once it hit, it was just, you know, off like a light switch. And so, um, so that was, was it all, was it all that. the dot com money coming from California building in rural Colorado? There was a lot of that for sure. Yep. And then a lot of retirement, you know, people retiring. And, you know, at the time, you know, if you retired in San Francisco or Portland or New York or anything like that, you could sell your shack and, and buy a, 4,000 square foot house on 10 acres in, in Western right. Colorado. With, with your retirement package that's through the roof at the Right, moment. exactly. <laughs> yep. Till, till one day it's not. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we, uh, so I grew up in Western New York, like I said, near Corning, uh, Corning, New York, where like Corning Glass, Corning Incorporated. And um, through some of those recessions, like they would build. And they get really big and they'd hire on all the people and they would build developments for them to live in. And uh, then as a crash would happen, like all the houses would be empty. Yeah. And then we'd come back <laughs> a little bit. Like I was there for a long time. <laughs> like right. come back a little bit and you'd see the houses start to fill up and then it'd crash again and all the houses would be empty. <laughs> like, they just move in and out. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, all these companies are going down. It sounds like pretty slim pickings for work. What what did you end up doing? Yeah. So at that point, um, I, I was pretty much willing to do anything to to get back to work and, and be busy. And I only, you know, the whole time I was probably only unemployed for about two weeks, but that was the longest two weeks of my life since I was 15, you know, so. Um, what am I, I going to do? Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I had a brother, an older brother of mine that had worked for these small passenger ship companies. And uh, the first company was called Lindblad Expeditions. And they're actually like partnered, sponsored some kind of uh, relationship with, with uh, National Geographic. And so they go at the time they were doing Alaska all summer through the inside passage and all around Juneau, Glacier Bay, Sitka, uh, really pretty places. And then they would go down to Mexico for the summer. So I applied for a job with them and I, I didn't get it to be an assistant engineer, but they gave me a call about two days later and said, hey, we got shipyard coming up in two weeks. It's in Alameda, California. We'd, we'd be willing to fly you out. You can work for three weeks. We'll kind of try you out. And then if we have an opening in, in the future, you know, you'll have a better shot. So I, of course, said yes, because I needed needed anything. So, um, right. well, what are you, you going to do anyway? Right, exactly. Are you going to fly me out to work for three weeks? Oh, right. Yeah, done. So uh, so I packed up and headed out. And uh, 
at the about two and a half week mark, they said, yeah, we want to keep you up in shipyard until until this ship leaves. And so then it became about five, six weeks I was going to be there. And then that deadline started getting closer. And they said, you know, we'd really like to have you as an extra set of hands to help move the boat down to down to Mexico. And we're moving out there like in the totally exposed. You don't have any passengers. The windows are all boarded up, you know, so you kind of need some extra help. And so I said, sure, I'll take a boat ride to Mexico to, you know, get paid for that. So, um, so about two days before we were ready to, to get out of Alameda, California and head to Mexico, the port engineer came up and said, Hey, you know, our, our sister ship, it's basically the same, you know, identical boat is coming in here right when this one heads out and all that great work you did to this one, we'd really like to have you do the exact same thing again. So it was kind of groundhog day, but it was, you know, I wasn't going to say no to anything. So I said, sure. So then, you just do it, you're doing uh, engine maintenance. So with that, it was more, a lot more, um, almost like miniature hotel rooms, you know, called cabins on, on a boat, but it was that kind of stuff that, um, these boats in particular, I think they were like built in 83, you got salt water everywhere and old, um, they called them air handlers where you had like a, a big refrigeration unit down in the engine room that cooled water and circulated it through all the bedrooms. And so um, it was a lot of that kind of work, uh, a bit of welding. They they didn't have anyone that could weld on the boat, but they had a little uh, like a 110 Miller stick TIG combo. And um, so I offered to do some stuff. And once they saw I could weld, then they kept me busy with that. And, <laughs> <laughs> rebuilding pumps um, and then a little bit of engine maintenance, but really not much. The engines, that's what I thought I was going to do, you know, being right. a guy that went to school for, for diesel mechanics and all. Um, I figured that's why they were bringing me out. But but really, that was almost all just really routine maintenance, not not much of anything with the old, you know, their old Caterpillar engines that you change the fuel filter and the oil, you know, and they just hum along for tens of thousands of hours so it was really the the cabin side the restaurant the ovens you know that so kind of stuff like flipping flipping um flipping apartments basically it, exactly yep really similar to that that doesn't sound horrible no it's not bad and the only thing that you know took me a minute was nothing square nothing's level well that's what i was gonna say um, <laughs> I, did, I i redid the inside of an rv and i buy i am by no means anywhere close to a carpenter right um, to begin with uh-huh. and then nothing square right. I, I had a my house on the homestead that we had was from the early 20s uh-huh. nothing square Nothing square and nothing is standard size either. Like they rough cut all the the lumber off the lumber that was in in the property. So it's not like the two by fours were two by four. They're like some were three by five and some were like three (laughs) by four and three quarters and right. Yeah. And harder than hell. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) So yeah, at least you at least you had the carpentry skills um, kind of a little bit exposure to that. Uh, when you got to bounce around uh, in the in the job prior. Right, for sure. Yep. And then and then with the, the building, the old little mini Western town and all that that I had done in high school, there was a lot of kind of oh, right, right. odd sizes and shapes and things, you know, that we were using old reclaimed materials that he got from some strange oh. thrift store or whatever. So nice. so I had the, you know, and then, you know, having the farm when I was young, helping my dad with all kinds of 
weird farm projects and you know you can, you, you can think outside of the box a little more than if you just just learned to be a production framer for a while you know so you did that you did that in in doc and then did you go out with that sister ship or did, you, I did. they just have you flip ships all the time <laughs> yeah no that was the last one so i i took it to mexico and uh it's a funny story actually we got to mexico and um got it all ready for the guests to get on and then uh, my brother had come to help with the trip too and so then my sister flew down and we were all going to hang out in mexico for for 10 days or so and i told told my bosses hey if you need if you need any help, you know, I'll still be in Mexico for 10 days. So just send me an email. My phone will be off because it, you know, costs like a million dollars a minute back then to be out of the country. So I said, you know, send me an email and, uh, you know, I can pop right back down or whatever and help you out and um, finished up our little trip. And I was actually flying to upstate New York. My sister was going to school in uh, Cobleskill at the time. So I uh, flew all the way up there. And as I'm coming through customs, I think in Atlanta, Georgia, I turned my phone on for the first time and had a voicemail that a bunch of stuff had, had gone wrong on the boats that the, the chief engineer was struggling with. And they wanted to send me to Mexico. And so I flew, I think it was a Monday, I flew from the tip of Baja, Cabo, Cabo Mexico, all the way up to, uh, to upstate New York, flew into Albany, I guess. And then okay. I hung out for the day on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, they flew me back down. So, <laughs> um, so I, I helped that guy. He, he, uh, he was in way over his head and helped him get things kind of turned around and went out on, on one week's trip. And uh, and then his wife got sick. He was from um, I think he lived in in Argentina. And so he had to fly back home and they said, OK, well, you're the chief engineer now. <laughs> and it was like, whoa. Yeah, no. And so had you had you uh, had you been on boats much ever? No, before that? I, I didn't know port or starboard. I mean, I didn't I didn't know anything at all. And did um, they did they assume that when you when you applied or was there ever a discussion of have you ever been on a boat? Yeah, and I was super transparent and upfront, you know, and I told them that I hadn't, you know, but they just, they were pretty desperate for as much of the world is for people that can fix a wide array of things and not be specialized. You know, that's the thing is you're, you're dealing with electrical, diesel, hydraulics, air conditioning, ovens, you know, ventilation, yeah. there's so much going on that, um, that there, there's just not a lot of jack of all trades around anymore. You know, they just always were hurting for people in those, uh, in those positions. So sure. I was the best. I, I've got more, <laughs> on more than one occasion, I've gotten a job that I haven't been there applying for. Right. <laughs> like I've gone in applying for one position and I just talk about what I can do and they offer you something else. And it's like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you need me for, man. I'm yeah, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> so you stay on, did you stay on as uh, as chief engineer for a while and, uh, and kind of cruise around? Yeah, I did. I, I stayed with that company for about two years. And then uh, I went to a different company that was had a little at about the same size boat, but it held half the amount of people, which was really nice. Um, they, they charged about twice as much, of course, but um, but it was a lot nicer boat because of that. I had a lot better budget to work with for maintenance and all of that stuff. Um, and it was a small company, you know, the, the captain of the, I got hired 
the captain of the boat, you know, said, oh, you know, I told him when I was flying in and said, you know, where should I meet everyone? And he said, oh, just, you know, send me your, your flight details. I'll be there to pick you up, you know, and at the other company, like the captains didn't even know my name, I don't think, you know, so it was really cool. Um, he taught me a lot. I ended up working there for about four years. And after a couple of years, I studied and got my, my captain's license so that I then um, ended up spending Basically, how that company worked is you'd work for eight weeks and then you'd take four weeks off. And so you had a, a reserve person would come fill in for you. And so I ended up being the reserve chief mate and uh, chief engineer. So I did a four week stint as the chief engineer and then the the engineer would come back and the mate would leave and I'd do four weeks as chief mate and then go take my four weeks off. So yeah, I ended up doing that a doesn't total. sound horrible either. No, it was good. You know, it was, it's... it was 12 hour shift, seven days a week, but you had the, the best part. It, it was the best savings program I've ever, ever right. done because you got no bills. You know, they feed you. I had my cell phone bill and my truck insurance, you know, so I was spending $122 a month and making, eventually, I think what I, I got up to about 80 grand a year as chief engineer with, with no bills, no cost of living, anything they paid for travel. And so then you just had to, then, you know, you'd usually, I was homeless. I'd just grab up Airbnb. A lot of times in the places we went, uh, the, the other company went to Hawaii, went to Costa Rica and Panama, and I would just kind of find a spot and hang out there, or come back home and stay with a friend for a few weeks or whatever. But yeah, yeah it you was had four weird. weeks, and then you had to be exactly somewhere else. right. Yeah. So yeah, for any young people that um, trying to figure out a way to save up some money. And you get to travel at the same time and see some cool sites, learn a lot of stuff, kind of work as a as a really tight team. You know, if you don't like someone on the boat, you got to figure out how to deal with it and, and be an adult and you got a job to do and, and uh, you got to put it aside and, you know, be able to cooperate and all that. So it was really good I was, was going to say, is this is it a is it a um, kind of a I I always thought about, so I was in hospitality before I was in like maintenance and doing all that stuff. So bartending, uh, yep. I always considered jumping on a cruise ship or something yep. like that. Yeah. It's kind of the same, it's kind of the same thought, but this sounds like a hell of a lot better than working on a cruise ship. Yeah. It's basically like a cruise ship, except you get paid a lot better and you're with a lot less people, which, um, you know, so, so our boat, the last boat I was on, I think was 153 foot. And um, it held uh, 12 crew members and 24 guests, whereas a cruise ship might be 10 times bigger, but it holds a thousand, <laughs> a thousand crew members right. and 2000 guests. You know, it's like Disney World nonstop, you know, 24 right. seven. So this were was these mellow. extended trips. They were pretty much one week trips. One so, week. so for the most part, you know, in Alaska, we'd come into Juneau on a Friday. Uh, that group of guests would get off Friday morning at nine. We'd take out the garbage, bring on the fuel and water, get groceries, you know, kind of turn everything around. Five o'clock, the next guest would get on and we'd head back out for the week. And that, that was the other side of it. We didn't really do much as far as stopping in towns, like a cruise ship, a lot right. of it's going town to town to town. And uh, these had a real emphasis on, on wildlife viewing, um, 
naturalism. We had, you know, onboard naturalists, photographers, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of whale watching, a lot of brown bears in Alaska, a lot of dolphins, you know, all that kind of stuff um, is really what, what the, the trips were about. And why did you stop? <laughs> it was it was it was good, and uh, and I think just after six years, I ended up finding finding Oregon, this little town called Bend, and I bought a house. And then when I was leaving my house, you know, and going back to sleep in a bunk bed with six other smelly dudes, it was like, you know, maybe maybe I've had enough, and you know, maybe I'll kind of put down roots and actually try to try to meet a lady and be, you know, in I, one. I got you. I got you. I got you. I just, I was look. I was, I mean, yeah. Then you had to start talking about smelly dudes. You, you had right. to like brown bears and taking pictures, whale right. watching, and then you're like, yeah. oh, smick smelly dudes in bunk beds. I'm like, oh, right. okay, I'd rather have the house in Oregon. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'll stretch out a little bit. <laughs> so, so you bought a house, and um, did you have plans? Did you, did you just say, I'm done? And I'll figure it out. Or did you kind of make plans? And and what'd you do when you when you start, wanted to settle down and meet this young lady? Yeah. So basically, I I had decided I was going to leave, and I knew when. And so I got I was really interested in real estate. My dad had always done pretty well by just buying stuff that other people mistreated and we fixed it up pretty nice. And when they moved, you know, he did okay and did some rentals. And I always thought that that was a key part of the American dream, you know? And, um, so I was, and, and with seeing everything crash like that, that's when I started to pay attention, started reading all kinds of books on real estate, investing money in general. And, um, so I knew, you know, it was the end of 2011 when I bought and I knew, I didn't know it was going to be the exact bottom, but it, it turned out it was, but I knew that, you know, it couldn't go a lot lower and eventually it was coming back up. So, um, I got really interested in that. So I thought I I wanted to be a real estate agent and uh, started studying. I took all the, you had to do, I think it was 400 hours or something. And I was able to do that as chief mate. My watch was from like eight to noon. And then I was on deck from noon to four. And then I got a break from four to eight and then went back on watch from eight to 12. So four to eight every day, I studied real estate course and did that's that. That's what I was going to say. On the ship, you had six years of a lot of time to do nothing. Right. For or sure. a lot of time to do something. Yeah, exactly. That other 12 hours that you're not on watch and you got no distractions, you know, except right, for right. the brown bears, which are distracting, but, but usually they're only around a few seconds when you go back to studying, you know? Yeah. So, sounds, sounds ideal. Like you were mentioning it for a kid that wants to get a, like a nest egg built up or all the benefits there. There's another one. I right. mean, they say, they say it about going to prison, but yeah. like when you're out on a boat, what are you going to do in your free time? <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's like a, a work release prison that's much nicer. They feed you the same food they're feeding the guest and they pay you really good wages, you know. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So real estate. <laughs> real yeah. Estate. Yeah. So I studied that. And then the day or maybe a few days before my last day on the boat, 
I was just like, I can't be a salesman. Like, this is insane. Like, what am I thinking? Like, I'll never be able to do it. And I, me and some friends had gone out, you know, celebrating my last, you know, last weekend there and all that. And so I had quite a few drinks, as, as one would imagine. And I started just looking on Craigslist at jobs. And there was a, an ad for Wildland Firefighters. And I had always thought that sounded super interesting. <laughs> so I responded and the guy called me back the next morning. He was like, we'd love to have you, you know, with this background. And so um, I landed back home and three days later started working on a crew. It was it wasn't fire season yet. So I got to learn fuel mitigation and basically all the things and then did that for my first uh, first year back on land. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got off a boat. Right. Yeah, you went and went, jumped in the woods, and uh, right uh, back with the smelly dudes. Yep, <laughs> more smelly dudes in the woods. <laughs> yeah. So, did you did you do a lot of did fire? Did you do a lot of firefighting? I just did the one season, so I did it from um, well, probably got sent out for the first time in the beginning of July, and then did that through September or so, September October maybe. Um, and Dude, that's got to be scary as shit. You know, at times, like there's like little blinks of of 30 minutes that's horrifying. And then the rest of it's super boring. You know, you're just like sitting around or doing mop up, it's called, where you're you're walking through where the uh, where the fire came and you're just like anywhere there's a tiny little bit of smoke you're going and breaking it up and pouring a little bit of water and so most of it was really mundane and painfully boring but then there was a couple highlights of like holy crap you know but those were i think i had two of those in that whole like three, wind four, shifts and things like that yeah exactly I, I hear I watch all those I like I get I get trapped in like the rabbit hole on YouTube watching uh, that kind of shit like right the, you'll hear the guys talking about like the sounds you hear when the wind changes and the flame starts they're like it's talking to you it right. literally sounds like it's talking to you because it's coming to get you right yeah and I'm like sure. I just oh. never want to experience anything <laughs> like that <laughs> yeah yeah you definitely I had a good crew leader that had been around a long time and that's you've got to have people that actually know what they're doing because yeah otherwise you hear hear the stories yeah i mean but you don't it, it seems like it's a well um well educated it seems like a safety first type of deal it, you don't hear a ton about and maybe it's just, it's just not reported on or it's not reported on where i'm looking but you don't hear like a ton of accidents yeah it's really infrequent and when it is there's a huge you know um a huge debrief and and really you know investigation and the whole bit because um they obviously don't want that to happen and they sink so much money into it that it um really for the most part is um they do a really good job and like you said there's tons of science every morning you do like an hour briefing before going out on on the humidity barometric pressure you know all of that stuff what to be looking for what's you know um all of that fire science for for a long time before going out and um yeah it's uh they're they're really impressive what they know that's good that's that's fantastic sorry i right. caught out there for a minute I'm, oh, i have, all right. I have the, the fun satellite internet that right uh-huh. <laughs> nice. all of a sudden the trees grew in this spring when at the place we're staying at and uh the internet it started started getting worse and worse as the leaves came in and finally it stabilized and so now i can tell it's like usually once a show 
Right. Well, that's not too bad. <laughs> um, so you you went and firefought, and um, did you decide you wanted to go back into real estate and be a salesman? Or? Nope, couldn't do it. So I ended up taking a job framing. Um, was the first thing I did after I got done with the fire stuff, and so, uh, but it was you know that was. 2012 or so when, you know, the market was still really dead. And um, so I was the, there was the lead framer and then me and then another guy. And I was making like 12 bucks an hour, you know, which um, because of how cheap the house I bought was, I could afford to, to do that, you know, and, but it was, you know, walking, walking walls 20 feet in the air with a nail gun and catching trusses when it's five degrees outside for 12 bucks an hour it was like, there's gotta be a, gotta be a better way than this. And so I was, you know, just reading ads and things. And I actually saw an ad for, for Mr. Rooter plumbing, big uh, national franchise. And it said, you know, after 90 days, you'll be fully commission based. And I thought if I can be in charge of, you know, I know I can provide the production. So um, if the if the pay is fair, then I can make that work. And so I ended up getting that job and they trained me on um, drain drain clearing, but they're also a plumbing company. So a lot of whole house replums and all of that stuff too. And uh, after 90 days, cut me loose and you were just on a flat 25% commission of your overall, of the overall price you build minus material cost and um, was able to do pretty well at that and get back into, you know, making a reasonable living and able to, to save some money. So were they providing jobs or were you, were you booking your own jobs? <clears throat> so they were providing all of them, you know, you had a, a little iPad that they got sent to, you know, and, um, and, and so, and then you had even menu pricing for certain tasks, you know, unplugging a bathroom sink was 219 or, you know, whatever it was. So you had that, but then there was a lot that was beyond that scope that you really had to just do a full on bid, you know, and get the material cost. And then your boss always broke that down with you after, after you had performed the job to see how profitable it was, you know, and what you made in that day. And if you went over your margins and all that, which was really great to do, you know, even I probably did about two or three of those bid jobs a week. And to just keep getting that feedback, you know, I got so much better at, uh, you know, that that's the thing I see with so many people that go out on their own is they don't charge enough because we all want to be nice and we want, we want to help people. And we, you know, we've been told our whole lives, all these rotten contractors and mechanics and everyone else are just, just out to gouge everyone. And then um, you get out and do it on your own and, you know, realize you're working twice as hard for half as much. And you kind of got to, got to reevaluate a little bit and, and, and then just really track it. You know, you can't get better at it if you don't uh, break, if you don't look at what you did on the last one, break it down, see what you did wrong, what you did well, you know, all of that stuff. So it was, I always looked at almost all those jobs as I was getting paid to, to learn something, you know? So, yeah, that, that is, um, that's kind of a really, did you know you wanted to do your own thing? As a, I mean, you, you wanted to, when you're a kid, were you training yourself? Like, did, did you see these opportunities, um, as did you target them because you knew what you wanted to do or were you still trying to figure out what you wanted to do? I, I, a little bit of both, I guess. I did know I wanted to do my own thing. I just didn't know what thing that was. And so I knew that anything that that I was responsible for, for my pay, you know, for, for a commission 
piece for for anything like that i knew it was going to help because it's all relative right whether you're you're selling a plumbing job or an electrical job or a framing job you know a lot of that stuff is still you know correlates right over and then you've got to get the experience of the individual craft um, so i definitely was looking at it in that light and i really knew i was gonna i wanted to buy um property outside of town on some acreage and so i knew i didn't want to do that just yet i didn't want to to uh start my own gig just yet because financing as i'm sure you know when you don't have a a nice standard w-2 tax return that checks like all the it. proper boxes yeah it doesn't matter what your credit is what your savings is like all of that i mean in 2006 they loved you Right. 2000, 2005 they loved yep, it. <laughs> yeah yeah they gave it gave it to anyone yeah exactly but uh so so that was the other side of it too is like okay well i need to have you know a typical employment so that i can get approved for a, a mortgage with a cheap cheap interest rate and all that good stuff and so i might as well be taking a job that uh will at least keep building the skills to to be able to go out on my own There you are. <laughs> Lost you. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, um, sorry, sorry. It, it's funny. Like, I don't, I don't blip out for myself for a minute. Like, you freeze, and then I'm just like, oh man. And then my screen goes black. And I sit uh, here, <laughs> and I sit here and just hang my head. <laughs> and my wife sits next to me, and she just looks over. And she looks at the screen and just giggles sometimes. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that's not good. Um, so yeah, so you kept the job so you could get the farm, right? Um, I've 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 been in that position. I've been in the let's hold off on this move to make everything easier because at this point it's not going to matter um like uh hey if we get this then you, you can switch jobs and it's not going to really matter what you make because we know we can pay the bill but the bank isn't going to like the numbers at that point yeah uh, we've, we've played those games for sure for sure uh, yeah so so you bought the acreage I did. Yep. Sold, um, sold my place in town and, uh, bought 30 acres out east of town that had a little 1927 farmhouse. Sounds real similar when I hear you talk about your old homestead. It's, you know, a lot of similarities and has a little, uh, had a bunkhouse on the property and in where I'm at in Oregon, you, the EFU is what I'm zoned, which is exclusive farm use. So they don't want to see, accessory dwellings or more housing or anything like that they're trying to you know keep it pretty strict for farming but because the the bunkhouse was built in 1917 and my house in 1927 it's all grandfathered and everything like that so it's it was a rare opportunity to find efu property with two dwellings on it which um just opens a lot of other options you know and helps out oh for so, sure can yeah. you is there anything in there for um farm workers yeah, well, there is but i think it's it's like 160 acre plots plus or something like that so it's it's i know it's big that i don't qualify for of so. course it is right yeah exactly. nobody under 160 acres would ever need help yeah exactly yeah jeez uh -huh. What do you do? <laughs> right, <laughs> should be easy. <laughs> so, so once you bought the once you bought the property, did you um, 
immediately kind of kick off into your own business or did you kind of stick around with the the kind of the I don't it wasn't secured income you were working commission so you actually I mean you had to do the shit it wasn't like a nine to five right um, or did you you just focus on you yeah so it was it was funny I kind of was so focused on the farm stuff that um that I had planned, you know, was doing all of that. And when I sold my house, the home inspector of the buyers, you know, came through and they always call out some little piddly nonsense that, um, that uh, wasn't code in 79 when the home was built, but was now. And, and the buyers knew nothing about homes, knew, didn't know what any of it meant. So they said, oh, it's got to be fixed so it'll be safe. And I said, you have to use a licensed contractor, you know, and I couldn't find anyone because it was only you know, it's probably like a, a $1,200 job over a couple of days or something and everyone's building whole houses. And so I couldn't find anyone. Luckily, my realtor was was born and raised here in town and uh, she called a bunch of people and eventually twisted a guy's arm enough that was willing to come out, do the work um, right in, you know, because you've only got a 10 day inspection window and real estate things. Everyone's freaking out and there's deadlines and all that. And so <laughs> I, I said to my realtor, I said, you know, is it like this every time? She's like, every single time, you know, this is what happens. And I said, if I get my license, will you start using me? And she said, absolutely. So, um, so at that point I, I started studying for the, the general contractor's license and, um, it was really pretty easy. I think it was only 40 hours or something of online stuff you had to do and then study for a test, go into the state and take a test get insured and bonded and all that. And uh, so by November, I had, I moved to the farm in April. And by November, I had my license and told my boss um, that I was going to be moving on. And, and then he, he came to me a day after I told him and said, Hey, if you wanted to even do a couple days a week, it, you know, it would kind of help. And then you can kind of build your thing up too. And he's like, it would take a lot of stress off me knowing that at least you're here two days a week that I can take off. And so that um, sounded, you know, perfectly reasonable. So I did that for the first two months or so. So I still had a little bit of income. I stacked up a lot of the, the those jobs, you know, and then went and did my own the other four days a week or so. And, uh, and then by that point, I was just too busy with my own stuff that, um, you know, I told them we needed to, needed to separate, you know, sooner than later. And he, you know, got some other guys trained up. And so probably by, by December, probably by the end of that year, 2016, I left plumbing altogether. It sounds like the electricians I used to work with at the gas stations. Uh -huh. um, when we do gas station builds, like they were specialized petroleum, like to install gas stations. That's what the, the company they did. Uh, but the guys were all doing side work. And I mean, they're electricians. So it's, it's a high demand. But you would go through and you would you could tell the ones that were there working to get their own thing started and the ones that were there working to buy into the company. <laughs> Right. Because the, the company that we preferred to work with um, was all employee owned, like the employees bought in and then they would let, let other employees buy in. But you could tell the ones that were going to do that, the ones that were on, the, on their way right. and they were OK with both. They just wanted the work done. And for the work sure. Done well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just be upfront about it. And that's then that's a that's a great opportunity too, uh, especially in that commission based setting where it's not it, it changes things when you're a contracted employee um yep. 
with required hours worked and insurance or like when you when you're a contracted employee like okay well i just want to drop down to three days a week well that that's really easy at that point right yeah yeah absolutely and and it's and anytime you're working you're only getting 25 percent of the revenue you're generating so you know they're like yeah if you want to work you know i'll take right. the other 75 pretty pretty right. happily you know right. well i'll give you a day well that's right. better than zero exactly yeah <laughs> So does, is that kind of your MO with the, the contracting is um, last minute or availability? Or did you did you kind of get a book of business or are you are you the guy that can't take any more now? Yeah, that that's uh, that's how it kind of transitioned. And um, I did the the little stuff, you know, going out and kind of being the last minute I did. I worked by myself for the first probably two years just just by myself, which obviously you're wearing a lot of hats. You're you're bidding, you're going and meeting the customers, you're drawing up documents to, that are getting reviewed by realtors and everyone else and then actually trying to perform the work. And that um, that was going going okay. And then I started getting, I was going really well. Um, but I started getting more, you know, I'd fix someone's house that was buying it and then they wanted to remodel their new house or wanted to, you know, add a deck. And so those projects just kept growing in scope and, um, got to the point, you know, one day I had two step ladders, uh, set up over here and here with a 16 foot long five and a half by 12 glue lamb and I'm putting it up a couple steps over here walking to the other ladder and it was like this is stupid you got to do <laughs> something different so um, so then I hired my first employee after so about you got two. a chain wedge <laughs> yeah exactly something <laughs> would have been better so it uh, so I ended up hiring a guy and of course didn't know what I was doing hiring and so that you know, didn't, didn't get good people there. Um, but it's a skill, isn't it? You know, absolutely. Like anything, you know, and he, um, you wouldn't think it, you, you think you could talk to somebody and be like, dude, you, you come to work, you show up, what do you know how to do? Right. And you think somebody be like, yeah, uh, I usually come in on time and this is my, these are my skills and, uh, I'm an asshole, but I'll show up. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, just give me that. Like, that's all I'm looking for. It's not totally. hard. Uh, yeah. And that just coming in and being on time was too hard for the, for the first guy, you know, which is crazy. So, um, yeah. So and anyway, fast forward a few years now, I've had a one guy that's worked for me for three and a half years. That's awesome. He watches the farm. If I go out of town, he's just dynamite. He, so he's my foreman and we really specialize now in, in additions, um, remodels and then ADUs have gotten really popular around us, which are like auxiliary dwelling units, like a little uh, mother-in-law suite kind of a thing, putting them up oh over people's garages. You know, it's gotten so the, the market has gone up so much that, you know, you can, you can build a little thing over your garage and get 2000 bucks a month for it. So it's pretty, right. pretty financially uh, savvy to, to build those. And so we do all that kind of stuff. So I probably spend my, about 50% of my time actually on jobs now. And, and the other 50% is, is bidding and uh, meeting with customers, lining out subcontractors, material orders, you know, all it's being in the which, office. Which do you like more? I'd still rather build, of course, but I do, uh, I, 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 
in the beginning, that's all I would do. And I got so behind on the other stuff. And then it would just give me so much stress and anxiety. And, and you know, the money starts shrinking in your bank account because you're spending, you're not billing on time like you should have and collecting. And You already uh, did the work so, and you're not yeah, even getting paid because you haven't exactly. done your paperwork. Right, exactly. And it's, it's no one to blame but but myself. So now I don't, I don't know that I enjoy it, but I enjoy the feeling of being really well organized, having my computer work done. I, I build a Gantt chart for every single project we do. And then my customers have that. So they know the, the timing, the schedule. My foreman has that. The other guys, I have a printed thing that's um, taped up at the job site, you know, so everyone's on the same page and knows what we're doing. And that is you, nice. you, uh, I can't, I can't imagine why you're busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that, exactly. I, I went, I, I sold the house uh, last, um, last fall. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I can't believe you're busy. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was a nightmare. We had to get sheetrock done. I mean sheetrock. Right. Like yeah. I, I could have done it myself, but I hate it. And yeah, it had to be done quick and I was working and all this shit. And just trying to find somebody to put some sheetrock up in two rooms, it was is unreal. I know. It is it's just nuts. And and I, everyone I think I think so much of it is the, you know, we pushed people into college for 30 years that now like there's just aren't people, you know, it's um, that have the skills, you know, almost all of my new guys I hire that have, they've got no skills and I'm willing if they're hard work and dedicated and smart, you know, it's easy to train them up over a couple of years, but all of them have these big degrees, <laughs> you know, that they can't use at all because, um, you know, there's no one looking for that stuff. The market was just flooded with, business degrees and sociology yeah. and communications right exactly I, yeah. I have a communications degree but i can't talk to you i can't right. tell you i can't well hey you got a communications degree can you go sell sell some jobs for me yeah right. sure um I, I can't talk to people though right i'm socially awkward <laughs> good, good thing you have a communications degree right <laughs> so you you were uh you're doing this. How do you have time to do anything with a farm? Well, the good news is I, uh, I, I did meet the lady. And uh, so my, my wife and I have been married for uh, going on four years now. And um, she is home full time. So she really she really does all the upkeep. And then, you know, I kind of build the infrastructure. I've got um, my crew and I work Monday through Thursday. We do four tens because I just rather put in a longer day and have the extra one off every week. So we're off Friday to Sunday and that gives me three days a week to, to build out on the farm. And, and like I said, my wife really does most of the chores, the tending to animals, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then I'm just constantly building systems to make it, uh, make it easier for her to do that stuff. And um, so we can grow and scale. And then when we do have the occasional time of we're waiting for permitting to get done or we're waiting for the electricians to come in and, and that get inspected and I've got three or four days to fill, I, I think it's really important for my guys that they get 40 hours hours if they wanted every week. Um, I know that's what I wanted when I was, you know, working for other people. And so basically anytime we've got little windows, it usually ends up to be two or three weeks a year that we're waiting on something for one reason or another, then I have them come out to my house and we build fence, you know, we redo the upstairs. That's solid, you know? man. That's, yeah. that's really, that's really cool. And coming from someone else that um, you never know if you're going to get that 40 
that really ended up and i'm a job hopper i get bored like you said I, yeah, I get yeah. bored and i'll do those lateral moves all day to learn something new i've never right. money's never been a real motivator for me um and um, that turned into one of the questions i asked because i would skim the bottom of what i needed to get by but i needed to know i, I i'm going to get a 40-hour paycheck right that things aren't going to get slow and I'm going to get at 32 or, uh, or, oh, 20. Um, yep. If I show up, if I'm willing to show up for 40, I get a paycheck. Um, that way I could work for less wage because I knew at least I was going to have 40. Right. Yeah. It's a big deal. And, and that has really helped. That's part of why I have one guy that's worked, you know, with me in construction, you know, that's he's turning 30, um, in a couple of months and he's been here for three and a half years now, you know? So, and, and if you can retain people, it just makes everyone's life a lot, a lot easier. Well, it attracts other good employees. Too. Absolutely. Yep. So, what do you, what do you got on the farm? So we've got uh, Cooney Cooney pigs that uh, we just bred for the first time last fall. So we've got uh, little piglets running around like crazy little gremlins right now. They're pretty fun. And then we do alpine goats. So we sell some milk, sell some yogurt. Um, wife's starting to get into cheese and soap and that kind of thing. And uh, I'm hoping to get in all my free time that I always have to, to train up, train up the weathers as pack goats. So that's what we had when I was a kid. They were our, our, our pack animals that would carry everything. And that way I wouldn't have to hopefully ever carry an elk by myself again would be kind of nice. So, um, but we'll see, that's uh, not super high on the priority list. So right now the, the dairy and all that's good. Is that like a training and sales model or is that a training and providing the service model? Um, I think it could be a little bit of both. I think in the in the beginning, it would be a keep me from packing out elk and deer by myself <laughs> model, you know, and then kind of go from there. Um, I think then then selling the animals is probably the most likely. The the permitting when you start going on to federal land, you know, national forest, BLM, all that stuff. When you're charging customers to take them onto public land, there's a lot of, as I'm sure you can imagine, a lot of hoops and red tape and things that I think I deal with enough with building permits and all. I yeah, don't know that I yeah, I don't, I don't think I need to dip into right. that. I think I think I could sell you an alpine goat. Exactly. Do it. Yeah. You you deal with all the other shit right exactly that was that was one of the things that surprised me um we did <laughs> excuse me we did um we were snow goose hunters when i lived in minnesota we would travel down south and snow goose hunt with a guide uh guide service actually and it always interests me i was like okay well we could do this we could get paid to 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 hunt um and i understood that they they had a lot of knowledge and all this it wasn't i wasn't i wasn't kidding myself but i actually looked in to bird guiding uh-huh and there isn't anything nice just do it just that's do it. cool <laughs> i mean you're you're usually on um on private land like you're sure. at the farmer to hunt their field so yep. i yep. don't think you have the hoops to jump through with the federal land and shit like i could only imagine that right yeah but yeah i'm sure like you said on private land that'd be pretty pretty easy that'd be a pretty pretty decent way to earn a buck well yeah and those guys so they would start in uh, they would start down in arkansas in february and then they ended up 
they would go to the the Canadian border and they would bounce back and forth. They would, so they'd follow the snow geese up in the spring and the Canadian geese down in the fall. And then um, they made enough money to buy a hunting lease in Saskatchewan. Oh, cool. And then they would go literally from the Gulf of Mexico to the Arctic or to the, to the fly-off point to the Arctic Circle to go up to uh, to the North Pole. And then they would travel all the way back down. So they would guide in the U.S. and the Canada. I was like, you That's shoot sweet. birds. You shoot <laughs> birds for a living all year round. Is that what you're telling me? That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Must be nice. Yeah, no kidding. I watched those guys. I watched them set that shit up in the cold. And uh, uh, that's why I was paying them. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what do you what do you got going on? I mean, I know you got so you got the con you got the construction company, the contracting, and you have the farm. Um there's something about helping people in your notes. That yeah. you help people, you help you can help people that have, have projects going on. Yeah, exactly. So basically it started um a couple about a year and a half ago, my dad started uh, building basically kind of a tiny house. He got basically a really large tough shed. I think it's like 14 by 28 made by a trust company there in Colorado. He had a foundation poured for it. They set it on that. And then he finished it all out to be um, to be a house for my, for uh, my grandma. And so he was doing it all himself and he's a you know super handy guy, but just knowing what steps to do when, you know, that so much of it is, is you can just waste so much time, cost yourself so much time and money by putting things out of order. You know, you did this and now you got to take that back out to do the other thing, you know? And, um, and so we were just, you know, we talked a couple times a month or so. And he was telling me how it was going and he had woken up the night before at two in the morning. It was like, ah, I got windows. The electrician need to be here. And how about the plumber? And I got to get this ordered. And what about the windows that were back ordered? He's like, I just started taking all these notes and it just looks like a madman, you know, got a hold of my notepad at two in the morning. And so <laughs> I, uh, I said, well, dad, let me, let me help you out. You know, I'll, I'll set up a Gantt chart for you. You can, you know, do it the same way I do. And so we just, spent maybe two hours on zoom two different times we ran through the whole project and i just built out the gantt chart which basically gives you all your task list down the left with estimated cost estimated time of completion and then on the right is your calendar and then the beauty is you know something's going to change <laughs> there's no way it's not one way for better or worse and so if if something you know gets done a week early or a week late you know i used to build with like a, a regular calendar online and the second one thing gets messed up everything else is screwed and so with the gantt chart i'm able to set up critical paths so that you know you can't set the windows until the until the shear inspection is done and and you know all of these things and so they're all tied together in a way that if anything that it's dependent upon gets moved, it adjusts all of that. So then you know to call the the plumber and, and update him with the new date. You know, you know um, when you need to have materials by all of that stuff just makes that really easy. And so I spent about two hours building that out for him. And he just, you know, raved about how helpful that was. And I thought, you know, this is, I, I was jealous of all the people like you during the pandemic that could do remote and be able to, you know, I'd like to travel a little more, but when I do, 
it uh i'm not billing anything i'm paying my guys to work on my own place you know and paying them to to attend the farm and all that stuff so to even keep a little chunk coming in if we ever decide to move to have some kind of provable income that comes with you all of that stuff is uh is really appealing and so i thought you know this might be this might be a way that i could do that and so i've since worked with a few a few more and that's you know it's probably less than five percent of the total that i do as a company but it's always really rewarding and and, and it used to be zero percent a year ago you know so um kind of you know slowly growing it but it's 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 really remarkable i think i hear so many stories and so many people even interviewed of building their own um, building their own places on their own land or building their own shop with a, a living space over it. And I hear some of the the struggles they went through and go, man, if we, if we'd have talked for, you know, one hour, we could have, we could have saved you 20 grand right there. in that one mistake alone, you know? And so I the, think the uh, sheetrock, the whole sheetrock episode was because of one of those, um, we couldn't get it inspected until we had all the electrical done. Uh, because they wouldn't pass it unless unless I dropped it all into the basement because it was a 1920s house and it was daisy chained from room to room. Right. Like, and it wasn't anything like all the lights. It was like a light in this room and a socket in this room <laughs> and, a, and a, a switch in this room goes to upstairs and then it goes. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm rewiring the whole thing. So right. I'll just rewire the whole thing. And then when I'm done, I'll pull all the old wiring. I'll pull all the old breakers out and I'll be good. Right. But in the meantime, I had the breaker and like it was a mess. And right. so I was like, okay, well, I'll just do this. I could afford to do two rooms at once. Yep. And so I did those two and I was like, well, I can't put the sheetrock up because I can't get it in. I can't get it inspected. And I'm not putting the shit up. I hated doing it so much. I'm like, I'm not putting it up and taking it down and putting it up again. No, no way. And then no. It just, we ended up selling the house before we even finished the electrical. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is stupid. What is right. going on? Like, we've lived here for two years. This is fine. Right. <laughs> I know. I know how to put outlets in. I know how to right. put. Like, but yeah, for it was all it was all logistics. Like, right. It's like, dude, you can't come in here and look, and I can explain what's going on and tell you everything about it, but you can't let me put my sheetrock up. I know, and and that's it. And the logistics, you know you can't just use common sense. You've got to use common right. sense combined with universal building code, which is not common sense, you know, right. so, so kind of the opposite, I might, might even say. So, so right. yeah, that, that stuff. And then the, uh, the, the, the lead times, that's been a huge change with supply chains and all that, knowing when you gotta, you know, I get a lot of people that just don't realize, you know, little standard vinyl windows. I used to, I could put in an order on Tuesday, they'd be in the following Wednesday. Now we're about 20 weeks on most windows still. So it, um, so that stuff to be able to plan that out ahead and, and have that whole thing. And a lot of it is really, me teaching the person how to use, I use, uh, it's called Instagant. And I think it's like eight bucks a month. I don't have an affiliate to it or anything, but the people, if they want to, to be able to take it and run with it themselves, you know, they can take a couple hours, we can build the whole thing out, then they can do all the maintenance and put in, you know, make any changes and just kind of get, get rid of me or, you know, call me once a month or, you know, it's totally personalized to whatever, 
some people like meeting, you know, twice a week because they really need their hands held a little bit right. and have less less knowledge. And other people are like, yeah, sweet, build me that whole thing and then I'll take it and run from here, you know. So it's however people are you, use it. Are you doing projects of any particular size or is it from anywhere from like what your dad did all the way to, uh, I mean, can you help them do a, a home construction? Yeah, for sure. So, so the ADU is really the same, you know, for me, when I, when we build them, it's the same as a new home. Um, the only difference is that it's smaller square footage, which works well because I only have three employees. And so you go to frame a, a 3000 square foot, you know, we would just take three years, you know, we do a great job, but uh, most people don't want to wait that long. But I love the ADUs because that, you know, we can crank those out in six, eight months or so. Um, okay. But it's every single step, you know, we're putting in that they, they don't even let you share water taps or sewer taps or any, all of that's got to be on its own so we're you know putting in the infrastructure building foundation from the ground up i mean it's the it's the whole deal so that's um it's it's really no different so my master list to either build an adu or, or new construction is really it, it's identical oh nice 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 it's all it's all intertwining all exactly. through your life is all this culmination. <laughs> it's all relative <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, you have, if people wanted to get a hold of you and talk to you about possibly getting help walking through something like that, would they reach out to your website? Um, the, the rocket uh, rocking C rocking, rocking KGC.com. Yep. That's it. So rocking I was telling K. you about this earlier this morning and I need <laughs> yep. to apologize to you on the air. Um, I said, Josh from rocking K all last week when I was, when <laughs> I I was prepping. and this morning i said wait i was wrong it was josh from rock and see <laughs> and i don't know why yeah. and now i do it's the website there it yeah. is man <laughs> yep that, that makes sense actually yeah i got it i yep. got it so yep. rockinkgc.com and yep. people can find you there and get in touch with you and then i also have a bunch of uh facebook couple I'm back. Okay, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have I have Facebook uh, and two Instagrams down in the links too. Uh, what can people expect to see from you soon? Are you got big things in the work? Are you just pushing on kind of helping helping build out, uh, helping Gant Gant is correct? Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, helping build that out uh, and just keep rolling with what you got going on. Yeah, that that's it. And then I'm also trying to get um, to get some more free resources up. I share them with people all the time. You know, any of my lists of, of the Gantz, if, if people are tech savvy and they can just sign up for the for the program and um, for the, the Instagant program and then I'll just send them my master list. They can import it, you know, so it populates everything that might come up in a construction project. And then you go through and delete all the stuff that's not applicable, you know, because it's a, a list a mile long but they, you know, you don't want to miss any, you'd, you'd rather have to delete an item than not see one and get to the point in the job and go crap, you know? So, right. um, so I'm, can, I'm you, can you say what an ADU is again? Um, it, yeah. Accessory dwelling unit is what it stands for. But so it's basically, it's basically a small house, usually around a thousand square feet. That's, you know, just, just its own standalone little house. 
are they usually permitted everywhere? Like, are they usually allowed? Because as, as we were moving into thinking about doing this, we looked into tiny homes. We looked into all the different things. Um, is it hard to find places to put these? You know, not where I live anyway. It used to be a little more difficult. It was what's called a conditional use permit, which means you got to post a sign with a notice, you know, and then a public can reach out if, you know, your neighbor hates it. They all, you, you got to send a letter, you know, a certified letter to everyone that lives within a thousand feet or some nonsense. And, uh, and then as this town really started to explode in size and rents flying through the roof, homeless populations rising, it was like, you want to let people build some stuff that, you know, people can live in, you know, it's like a rational thing to do. And so that became pretty popular publicly push for that. And the city council ended up adopting that. And so now it's just an outright permit um, that, that anyone can get as long as the zoning is appropriate. But it's it's really only exclusive farm use that that doesn't qualify. So 95 percent of the residences in in my county and I think the state, um, you can put them up. So, um, the, yeah, there's maximum square footage and stuff like that. But it um, you've got to have a certain enough open lot area, a certain amount of parking spaces and, you know, some of those kinds of kinds of things that they micromanage, of course. But yeah, you can. Yeah, much, you know. <laughs> of, yeah. Course, of course, they yeah. they just can't let you do what makes sense. And no, no, we that would to make too much sense. <laughs> we're going to have a great idea and then we're just going to mess it all up. All right. Exactly. Oh, man. All right. Well, I uh, I definitely encourage people to kind of check your stuff out and find you and follow all your uh, follow all the links that I have down in the notes. Um, I like to let people kind of leave on a on a note if you got something you want to leave the audience with and uh, then we can kind of wrap it up. We're we're over an hour here. This time flies when uh, you have good conversations. So, yeah. Uh, I give I give you the floor for whatever you want, man. Take as long as you want. If you got anything you want to say, you want to plug anything, send people anywhere. It's all up to you. Yeah, um, the like you you did a great job. The website's the main one, and then on social, I'm really most active on Nostra. I just don't know how to share that with anyone. But um, I, I got I have your pub key in the perfect. in the notes too, and yeah, I, so, I have a couple of places I'm gonna post it for you too. So that's help. been been my favorite new spot to to. Hang. I'm most uh, most active on there, and then just through email, you can find even my phone number. You know, through the the website, and um, yeah, feel free to reach out about about any little thing. Um, and then outside of that, I would just say that um, one of one of the reasons I think that the company's going well and the farm and all that stuff is all the different random things I did along the way that um, that is all relative, you know, and it was really working as the chief engineer that. I, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. I, I remember a time the port engineer asked me if I would go replace the cable on the Davit. I had no idea what a Davit was, but this was like the big boss. And so I, I went down, I found, I, I said, yeah, no problem. I'll get it done. And went and found one of the other assistants and said, hey, what the hell is a Davit? And she just, you know, bro broke out laughing, knew exactly what happened. But, but once I found it, you know, it's a cable and it spins around on a winch and, you know, and so that's, uh, everything is so relative, you know, and that if you can push yourself and I see that's the biggest issue I have with certain new employees or whatever is they think, I don't know how to do that. And I think it's that mindset, um, you know, that uh, that's so important is to 
don't tell yourself you can't, you know, figure out how you can, whatever it is you have to do. Um, and, and sometimes you'll decide what I'd have to do to do that isn't worth it to me right now in my life. And that's okay. But if you just say, I can't because of X, Y, and Z, you know, you're really doing yourself a huge disservice. And so just, uh, just, just try, you know, tweaking that mindset is probably one of the most, the, the most impactful things I, I ever did in my life. And then you start to see that, um, that, yeah, I've never worked on a davit, but this thing's just a wheel that turns around and pulls a cable up, you know, and it's just a cable. It's got to, if someone put it on, I got to be able to figure out how to take it off, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Learning how to troubleshoot things is more um, figuring out how it went together so you can get it apart and put it back together. Yep, that's absolutely how it. it works. It doesn't really matter what it is, as long as you can just step back and, and take a second and figure out how it works. Yep, absolutely. And so don't don't worry if you think this thing is never going to, you know, I, I didn't want to grow up to be a professional Davit cable changer, but but those experiences, you know, they they all add up and um, they're, they're all great. And so just uh you know, take everything you can out of, out of each opportunity and, and you'll just keep uh, stacking, stacking blocks. Nice. Well said. Yeah. That's, um, that's been my working path. Uh, like you nailed it. As you were telling your story, I, I just, I kept going, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. I hear it. Uh, man, I really appreciate you coming on. If you can hang out for a second, um, I'll drop you off and we'll catch up for a second before uh, before I let you go. But I'm going to close things up and I'll be right with you. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks for coming on, Josh. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Josh from Rockin' K. What a what a nice conversation. I, I enjoy that. I enjoyed listening to that because, like I just told him, I it, it reminded me a lot of the jobs I've fallen into and seen correlations and then learn something new and been able to carry it on and on and on and just uh and and make that all those connections but uh be sure to check out josh the website again is in the in the video notes and the audio notes rockinkgc.com and then his noster profile facebook and a couple of instagram links are down there if you enjoyed the show please consider sharing it with others you can find it at the or you can find me on noster telegram youtube tiktok Facebook, Rumble, and Instagram. Be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcasts, 2.0 Value for Value podcast players like the Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great night, guys, and we will catch up with you next time.